Hey folks, it is October 2021 already. This is the monthly market update where we go over a bunch of investor news. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. And if you guys want to type in any comments or questions, feel free to do so. If you guys haven't met me before, my name is Lane Koka. I still have my PE license, but no longer am I an engineer. I started rent buying properties in 2009. In 2015, I had 11 rentals, and that was when I really started to get uh, more involved into private placements and syndications as a credit investor. Actually, today, over 6,000 rental units 30, 38 plus properties, and I operate the family office of Hana Mastermind. If you guys want more information about that, um, check out our group. But first off, inflation is running rampant. Here's a little meme where the uh, the Japanese ice cream manufacturer said that they were going to apologize for raising the price of a popsicle from 60 to 70 yen. So it's happening, folks. If you believe it or not, inflation is here. But inflation is good for folks who are landlords and homeowners. Why is that? Prices of goods, whether real estate or stocks. I'm not a big fan of stocks, but better be holding on to stocks than to holding on to cash because cash is being devalued every single day with inflation. Here's a little bit of insights for people who kind of worry about what if interest rates go up? Will the Fed eventually taper quantitative easing? Right here are three graphics depicting the, the first one is the dark blue one, which is the equity spread, which is the spread between commercial office, industrial retail, cap rate, and mortgage rate. As you can see, it's pretty much consistent where there's cap, there's compression. So that means lower yields. Another one that people would look at is this light blue one, which is the debt spread, which is the spread between the 10-year treasury and the 7 to 10-year fixed mortgage. And what these charts are basically, they're depicting is the difference between your interest rates that you're borrowing at and the cap rates, which is pretty much like how much money you're making from investments. Typically, as we've talked about this many times, if your interest rates go up, typically your cap rates will go up. And what you investors do is you make money on the spread between the two and they go up and down. Of course, they're not correlated exactly. There's going to be some vibrations up and down both ways. But for the most part, interest rates go up. I'm happy as a real estate investor because that means my rents are going up. And I can be able to capture a lot of that equity. And it's been a good year so far. Ever since we turned the corner of January 21, rents have been skyrocketing. Some of the biggest places that's moving are like Phoenix, Arizona. I hear a couple, I, I always follow what the big guys are doing, the smart money, which is Blackstone, big investment firm. They're making micro moves here. They're buying industrial, they're selling industrial, and they're also selling uh, their Cosmopolitan Hotel, part of Blackstone, has a big part in the hospitality industry. But they're also buying stuff too, right? This is what they do. This is a great example of their full cycle. What they're trying to do is they buy distressed assets where they can use their capital and intellectual property, which is their team members, uh, to reposition hotels and eventually sell it when the time is right. And I think what you're seeing a lot of, this is the hotels. I, I can't say that this was the case in this hotel transaction, but what you're seeing a lot in the apartment space is a lot of people that have been struggling through 
the pandemic, finally got themselves shook up and realized, yeah, I need to sell this property as soon as things return back to normal. Things are returning back to normal and sure, rents are going up. Sellers are like, you know what? I've got my head about water. I'm going to make a big profit. I'm going to sell this asset and move on. Even though they probably should wait for three to six months for the rents to catch up on them. They've had it already. They made that intellectual switch in their head. And I think this is very similar to people who come to simplepassivecashflow.com. They read the blog articles. They check out the podcasts. And the reason why they do that is because something might have happened that work. There was some disruption. Um, they realize that all this 401k nonsense isn't going to get to where they want to be. And there's a paradigm shift. People don't do things unless that there's some kind of a pain point to change. Just in case you guys are curious, Moderna is probably one of the winners in this whole horrible COVID-19 pandemic. They're buying a new headquarters. That's what you do when you make a lot of money. So they're buying a 462,000 square foot laboratory office project in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And if you guys are interested in joining our free syndication cram school uh, coming up in a couple of Saturdays, October 16th, go to simplepassacashflow.com slash syndication. But if you guys are just getting started, maybe you got some credit card debt, you don't get paid too much, check out the free basic e-course by texting the word BASIC to 314-665-1767 to get that free course. This is meant for the younger guys and another course for the sort of young guys trying to buy their first remote rental. You guys can get access to the free remote rental light e-course by texting the word REMOTE to that same number, which is 314-665-1767. Again, text your note to that number. Moving on, early on in the month, there was in California, I think this is a precedent-setting bill, Senate Bill Number 9, where it, it banned a single-family home exclusive zoning, and it's opened the door for duplexes and more quadplexes to be in these traditionally single-family home residence area zones. What does this all mean? Basically, in Los Angeles, places where it's gotten more and more expensive. There's housing prices going up in a lot of these single family home communities, or you might want to say middle class to lower upper class or middle to upper class kind of areas. Traditionally, like your duplex plus or your multifamily is more for the lower middle class. So by keeping it all single family home zoned, it was a way of social engineering people, lower middle-class people out of these more affluent areas. Things are crazy in California in terms of pricing. Things like this kind of open the door, releases some pressure. And some people like freak out. They're like, oh my goodness, California prices are going to go down because of this, because there's all this supply in the market. And that's the stuff that YouTubers do to sell sell YouTube views. I, I just don't really see this really having a huge impact on any of the California market. But I think my one takeaway from this is that California typically leads the nation in terms of these more progressive bills, whether they're right or wrong. So we're not very political here on this channel because I kind of think it's a little bit waste of time. I think the time that people should be putting into this stuff is understanding where the puck is going and skating to that puck and putting yourself in the right position. We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean, mainstream investing. We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals 
to syndications as my net growth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest, and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash OFUND and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where collectively the fund and investors like you pull their money together and get great bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come, because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com slash investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassacashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. Moving on. Latest, the U.S. bill impacts real estate investing. And this impacts you guys who are investing in qualified retirement plans, such as self-directed IRAs, self-directed Roth IRAs. Something that I've been a huge, I guess what's the anti-proponent of? I've been against this stuff. You guys can check out my whole forum about this thing, why I think it's better to not have any retirement plan and just invest cash in real estate because you get the the girls tax-free and you want to pay your taxes today instead of in the future. Some people will hear that and say, I'm actually crazy. It's like, what about your retirement? It's not like you're buying, taking the money out of your retirement plan and buying jet skis and silly things like that, like big trucks or whatever. But what these people don't realize is when you have your money in these 401k, especially post-tax type of investment vehicles, the government can kind of tax you wherever the heck they like in the future. So you want to get your money out of that stuff and being able to have control over your investments. But now they're attacking even the self-directed IRA and Roth IRA accounts. Now, this isn't set in stone yet. I always tell people don't freak out yet until it's really written in, but potential changes that could be coming down the line. And if anything, if not now, but when is the thought process is they're going to say that you cannot invest in private placements or syndications if you have one of these uh, by using one of these accounts. So a lot of people will use self-directed IRA accounts, self-directed Roth IRA accounts to invest in private placement and syndication. They're saying that they may require people to exit those things in a year, a couple years or so. Again, this is just rumors right now, but I'm thinking that a lot of the stuff is going to go through. I'm also thinking that at some point they're going to make IRA owners do this incredibly painful appraisal that may cost a thousand dollars or two which is going to totally buzzkill all the benefits of doing this stuff in the first place with administrative fees. Ultimately, what are they doing? I think that they're in cahoots with all these Wall Street companies to funnel people like little cattle into investing in retail investments where ultimately Wall Street companies get rich off this stuff. Um, Just talking to a guy recently, um, that's what they do in Canada. There's retirement plans that you can self-direct, but you cannot put it into non-retail type of stuff. You can't invest in alternative assets, which is messed up in my opinion. Another thing to mention, I guess, why is this all coming down the pipeline? You can thank Mr. Peter Thiel, the PayPal executive, 
who was really clever how he figured out a way to put his Class B general partnership type shares into his IRA and then it exploding like 10,000%. And he pissed the government off. He pissed the IRS off. That's not how you're supposed to be doing with this stuff. And now they want to stop that loophole. Unfortunately, they're hurting everybody with regular puny size IRAs under $5 million to a $1 million IRAs. In my opinion, they should just limit IRAs to being less than $10 million and leave the 99.99% of people alone. More market data. So Yardi reports in July of the top five markets, Phoenix, Tampa, Las Vegas, Inland Empire, Atlanta, Sacramento, Miami, Raleigh, Charlotte were the top national rent growth. You're seeing a lot of these big REITs go after, in this case, 2,000 unit multifamily portfolio in the Sunbelt states. Why is that? Because in those types of areas, you have better economic growth and you have better landlord-friendly laws. In other news, housing uh, missing middle comes to focus. And what they're saying here is the overall outlook is positive for workforce housing. So workforce housing is that lower middle class, right? Think of people that are renting anywhere from $600 to $1,200 a month. Municipalities and developers are working more closely to identify the population needs and increase supply accordingly. Attractive destinations for in-migration may include Texas, Florida, Kansas City, Milwaukee, all these same locations that we keep hearing about. Demand will likely remain steady. Affordable housing is not prone to the same cycles as market rate or luxury developments, the high-end stuff, the luxury stuff. An economic downturn, however, is unexpected as the country recovers from COVID-19 may actually create greater demand for affordable housing, workforce housing. Changes in the federal policy can lead to adjustment periods, so watch changes to tax credits and related programs closely. And what they're talking about is if you want to build like newer types of properties catered more towards like the middle class, they'll think of brand new buildings. Technically, they're A-class, but they might only rent for twelve to $1,600 a month. Um, that is still considered affordable, relatively affordable housing. But there's different uh, tax credits out there. The builder or the owner may be um, having a restriction on maybe 10, 20% of the units to keep it 20% below market rate to qualify lower income type of residents. Again, a, that's the government for you. And I think that's a good use of government funds. There's definitely a need in those lower rungs for people who need that type of housing. Here's a chart of rent-to-income ratio stead, uh, remain steadily. From 2010 to 2020, median income has grown. This probably is an obvious thing. Inflation is here. It doesn't necessarily mean that the buying power has increased. And then it's also charting the medium rent divided by the income. So that has actually remained pretty steady. Might have dipped down the last several years, but that has actually made, remained pretty consistent for the most part, which kind of speaks to the fact that, well, people are getting paid more, but their percentage of their uh, rent to income ratio at around 22% now, that remained pretty consistent. And that kind of speaks to the whole inflation thing around 22% nationally, that's still below like the one third threshold. That's a general rule for property managers. You don't want to have a tenant in there that rent is more than one third of their income. Who knows? Like I think with people spending more money on housing and staying at home more, I think that ratio probably will go up in my opinion. Maybe at some point, who knows, 20, 30 years from now, 
property managers will be increasing that ratio to 50% of people's incomes. At that point, everybody will just be a bunch of couch potatoes with their phones taped to their head, and they will spend all their money on housing. They won't go anywhere. They won't socialize. But also, uh, here's another chart, again, from RealPage. This is outlining the property class and affordability are inversely uh, correlated. So a lot of investors ask a lot of times, well, what's an A-class, B-class asset? And, of course, you've got to break it down based on the neighborhood, the tenant profile. Is it A, B, C class of tenants and location? or And then you break it down based on the quality, which is so like you're 2010 and newer, that's typically your A class. Once 1980s, you're starting to get into the B class. And then once you get into the 1960s, that's more of the C class, generally speaking. But this kind of outlines what is the medium income percentage that people are spending or what they're making. So your people typically in your A class, you're making about medium income, 60 to $80,000. Your B class are around fifty to seventy thousand dollars medium income, or sorry, sixty thousand dollars medium income, and then your C class renters. Those these are the guys making thirty five thousand to fifty thousand dollars medium income, uh, which is probably a culture shock. Most of the folks listening, you guys are in cool places like Seattle, New York, Hawaii, all of California. These medium incomes are probably like what really? You got a family making less than $70,000 a year. Crazy. But that's how most of America lives. John Burns had a great podcast where they some of the takeaways here is they cited the strength of the apartment market. Demand is far outstripping supply. In most cities, apartment rents have surged beyond pre-COVID levels and has already absorbed SX supply. There's a lot of capital coming out of the office retail sectors attracted to the multifamily and industrial sectors. So smart money is leaving other asset classes that have been beat up and finding safe refuge in the multifamily asset class. Uh, bill for rents is becoming, maybe this coincides with generally people aren't buying houses, the baby boomers selling off their single family homes. People can't afford it anymore to buy a house. Um, I'm not going to say whether most people should buy else or not. I don't think that most people can afford it. So what a lot of institutions are starting to do once again is they're trying to get into the rental property arena. So they're building a lot of properties just for rent or upgrades. Like at turnkeys, people will buy, but on an institutional level. What's probably going to happen is they're probably going to run into some growing pains because large institutions aren't the best at operating assets. Um, but they make a lot of money, and I think it's important to, they bet on the obvious trends, and they can push through it because they have so much money. So what the investor at home needs to take note of is what is the smart money doing, and how they can they emulate what's going on. Also, looking into the future with excess supply absorbent, activity humming, expect to see apartment supply ramp up in 2023 to 2025. All rapid growing metropolitan areas are hot, especially in Carolinas, Florida, and Texas. Investor activity will follow the migration of people. The demographic that was previously drawn to the hustle and bustle of urban cores are now maturing and moving to suburban locations. Uh, the, the guest believes that the 
inflation seen today is going to be more permanent than transitory given stubborn high housing costs and migration of people from high cost areas to low cost areas. Increased construction efficiency in the form of modular offsite construction would be great for the industry. However, these improvements are capital intensive and there are many regulatory obstacles. So that transition will take uh, more time and therefore the cost to build houses will remain high. Take a little break here. If you guys haven't yet, check out the podcast, Simple Passive Cash Flow. Uh, if you're checking this out on the YouTube channel, um, you guys are checking out all the cool graphs and images. Uh, we also send this out on the podcast every month, and we keep a copy of all these recordings at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter. So if you guys want to bookmark that page and you just want to pull up and see the last month's headlines, you guys can go and retrieve all that there. Moving on, this was early on in the month, but it coincides to that house bill going after these IRA um, owners. And again, a lot of rumors. I think we'll see this play out here. It's in the infrastructure bill, among many things. And they're probably going to make another bill to to put this stuff into stone. But who knows? We, we think the people, there's a lot of conversations on the interwebs what this is going on. Again, I don't have any IRAs and I told people to stop using them in the first place. I just kind of just saying, I told you. But if you have them, I'm sorry. Probably should be another reason why, you, you know, what we try and do is we try and help folks uh, come up with a plan to leak out your retirement fund slowly so your AGI doesn't go sky high. So because you don't want to be that guy who has a whole bunch of money in your IRA. And then what's happening there is now you're screwed because the only way to take money out is to increase your adjusted gross income. What you really should be doing is smoothing out your adjusted gross income over you know, your entire life. So you're constantly paying, taking money out and paying taxes, not on big spikes because the spikes are the ones where you get killed. That's when you puts you into that higher tax bracket unneededly. Um, you should try to find the troughs, right? So some people, maybe they weren't working in 2020, 2021. Great year to take some money out of the retirement plans. Sure, you pay the penalty, but that's not much. 10% isn't much when you can unlock the cash and put it into something so much better. This is, I always laugh at these kinds of articles because it's like a misdirection in the media. And the, the, the media always portrays these types of articles where, you know, like Biden's going after people that make over $400,000 adjusted gross income. For some reason, I don't know why they picked that number, but the smart, the wealthy people are just driving their adjusted gross income below $400,000, much, much less using real estate, other passive uh, losses, to offset their passive income, perhaps doing a real estate professional status to drive this AGI down so they don't pay that much taxes in the first place. Ultimately, and but they portray these headlines of the poor Americans are getting bigger tax brackets under the democratic plan while the rich get hikes. Well, the rich, sure, I don't really consider people that make 400 grand a million dollars rich. They just make a high salary, but they're Unfortunately, like the shrinking middle class that are you know, paying a lot of taxes, but the real wealthy people, the smart people, finding ways to lower their adjusted gross income, this doesn't even pertain to them in the first place. And that's how you guys need to start to learn. Wallet Hub came up with a article on the, the corporate 
corporations that pay the highest tax and the ones that don't. Um, and it's dismal. Wells Fargo makes negative a thousand percent. Salesforce makes negative sixty percent. The corporations are not paying the taxes, and this is there's no. It goes back and forth, right? Because some people are like, we need to lower the taxes so that the, these companies repatriate to America. That was Trump's big thing. And but on the other hand, right? If you make it, if if you find ways. Um, to tax them, they leave. But this happened last month. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, the on August 26, the U.S. Supreme Court ended the pandemic-related federal moratorium on residential evictions. And but I don't think it's having a real impact because the rents are skyrocketing and demand is high. If people, it, it, it's I think this is all pro landlord here, pro investor. If you're a tenant. Your, I don't think your landlord is in a position to accommodate you for not paying your rent. They just got people lining up around the street willing to pay, whether it's right or wrong. From a landlord's perspective, it's a business thing, and it just makes more sense to get the guy out and rent to somebody who can pay the rent and willing to pay more. This was a saga that we've been following for quite some time here since the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020. It got extended several times. For some reason, the CDC, some disease center for disease were able to mandate whether it was if it, if it, it was lawful or not to evict people but it's all over now august 26 a lot of these moratoriums are over well a lot of people don't realize what those moratoriums is really if you if the the tenant needed to exhaust every single option for government assistance which they never do you know, I mean, just, there's always a way you can evict people. Of course, you evict people for the right reasons because they don't pay. And you guys can comment below whether it's right or wrong. In my opinion, if you can't pay, you can't stay. If you can't afford something, you shouldn't have it. However, there are some states that still have a state eviction moratorium in place. And yet, you guessed it, California. Again, here's another chart in different colors, annual changes in rents. Some of these topping 20% in Phoenix, West Palm Beach, Tampa, and Las Vegas. Single family rent in increases are also going up. And I think apartment rents and single family home rents, they go up hand in hand. Higher asking rents uh, set record high occupancy and all low new home construction is the reason. A type four sale housing supply, strong price appreciation, and consumers placing a premium on living space. Like I was saying earlier, right? Right now, the golden rule is like one third of your your income should be going to your living expenses. I think in my lifetime that'll probably push up to about fifty percent because we'll just be a bunch of potatoes sitting at home on our Netflix, YouTube, and our electronic device. So we're becoming more of a renter nation, slowly. But here are some of the cities that have flip-flopped. And you probably haven't heard of many of these cities as they're all pretty small cities. But Merrifield, Virginia, Brownsville, Florida, San Pablo, California, Hawaiian Gardens, California, Almonte Springs, Florida, Inkster, Michigan, Jennings, Missouri, Eastlake, Orient Park, Florida, Arden, California, and Country Club, Florida are some of the the renter share flip-flop from 
less the majority to much more the majority. And then they say, here are some of the cities to be on the lookout to flip-flop next year to becoming more renter locations. Azusa, California, Morrisville, North Carolina, South Pasadena, California, Lakewood, Ohio, Escondido, California, Newport, Kentucky, Oakland Park, Florida, SeaTac, Washington, Sunrise Manor, Nevada, Melrose Park, and Lamar. So we mentioned this earlier where development is going to be coming back online, but likely it's going to take at least a few years. But the top five markets for multifamily developments at this point is no surprise, Dallas, then Houston, Atlanta, Miami, and then Phoenix. Some more rumblings and what Blackstone's doing. They bought Chamberlain Group, who makes those garage door openers. And billionaire Sam Zell says he's buying real estate. So he, two big dividends to follow his, his lead. And he says, as an investor, I look at real estate as an area where we're dealing with hard assets and brick and mortar. There may be a lot of people who get a lot of joy out of virtual assets, but somehow or another, there's a great deal of comfort that comes from being able to see and touch and understand. House flippers. I don't know why you guys are house flipping out there. The returns are getting less and less because more and more people are doing it. And that's just how competition works. Home flipping rate rebounds in second quarter after year of decline. Raw profits on home flips inch up as home prices soar, but typical profit margins slump to a 10-year low. And you can see this on the graph. The green line is the profits that, that house flippers will typically. We talked a lot about the 401ks. If you guys want to hear the whole argument on that, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash QRP. Friends don't let friends do qualified retirement plans. Only in certain cases, right? When the, the guy makes more than $330,000 of just gross income, and he already has a huge uh, retirement uh, plan, maybe more than half a million, million dollars in it. But everybody else, in most cases, in my opinion, doesn't make any sense to do retirement plans. Here's a little bit of teaching point. We'll skip that. Here's a teaching point for you folks. I found this cool article where they broke down the top paid athletes in 2021. And there's two ways to look at it. You can, it's what is, how much of their income is coming from their salary and how much of it is coming more from passive income, which I call in their case, their endorsements, their business. Conor McGregor, well, Conor McGregor is very skewed towards uh, on the field earnings or in the octagon in his case. 87% of his earnings comes from what I call sweat equity or in his case, getting his butt kicked. And 12% of earning is from off the field. Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, the most handsome man, supposedly. He makes about half-half. Uh, LeBron James, yeah, more, about 67% on field, 32% off field. Some outliers here, Roger Federer, all, pretty much all his $90 million is coming from off the field. So all endorsement. I don't think he, he's really playing this year. It's a fun thing to talk about, but I think like the takeaway from here for you folks is how much of my money am I making based on my ordinary W-2 or business income where I'm trading time for money essentially. And how much of my income am I making from passive investments? Things I don't have to put in sweat equity. Things that just roll in. 
sure, over time, you got to be like Conor McGregor here and make a whole boatload of money off of in the octagon. But over over time, that kind of should skew more towards passive investments or in these guys' case, making a nice brand. They say athletes, some of the athletes say, well, I don't want to be a role model. You don't have to be, but if you really want to make long-term legacy wealth for yourself and not just make money in the prime earning years of your life when you're an athlete, it's smart, it's smart to be a role model and just suck it up and sell products at the end. And another outlier, Dak Prescott. So the Cowboys quarterback earned $97 million in 2020. Um, he is the highest on-field earning player of them all. So most of his money comes from on field, which is what you don't want, in my opinion. That needs to get on the bandwagon of some kind of social media thing or build a following. It'll make money other ways than throwing the football, which could go away at any point and probably will. It's the NFL, not for long. Maybe. Biden's cooking up some plans to create 100,000 affordable homes by 2024, which is nothing. 100,000 sounds nice in a little article, but it's a drop in a bucket. But hey, at least they're trying. And again, like that was the low income housing tax credit, LIHTC uh, is the one way they're infusing capital. But something we focus a lot about in the family office group is, you know, getting to financial independence isn't the hardest thing. It's about keeping it there. How do you teach your family and your heirs, your next of kin is what they say. Here was like another thing I picked up where it's a graph of the percent of immigrants immigration versus the hard work. So the question was, which quantity should children be encouraged to learn? Imagination, hard work, or both? So they polled people in different countries. And just that you guys can take a look at this on the YouTube channel. But some of the outliers, just if you guys who are listening on the podcast form, South Korea, which we all stereotypically know the, know them as uh, high stress, the high hard work output type of folks, very non-imagination. Uh, they also say that both is important. Sweden say says that hard work is the least important. Go figure. Zimbabwe says imagination is least important. Therefore, hard work is more important. Where is America? We're in the middle down here. So I just kind of thought that was important or interesting. Uh, Japan, Japan's on the side saying that imagination is more important. The United States, by the way, is on the saying that hard work is more important, which I think a lot of us will probably agree. Like people in America, we don't use a vacation. We kind of work. There's a little bit of an Americana spirit, which I think is a good thing in my opinion. If I, if I you were to ask me, I think imagination is cool, but I think hard work gets you to harness the skills and you have to do your 10,000, 20,000 hours at that point. Then I think imagination comes into play. If not, you just have some hipsters just uh, drinking good IPAs and having a good... And along those lines, another graphic here of the 20th fastest growing and declining jobs. Some of the jobs that are going to be going away are well, the ones that are, are coming up are more healthcare related and the ones that are going away are like bank tellers admin assistants secretaries a lot of like those 
kind of the lower labor, uh, intellectual labors and labor forces are the ones that are be going away. So just, what it just tells me is the higher, highly educated, higher skilled, intellectually skilled are the ones that are more need in the future, which I think is a total obvious thing for most of us. Looks like we have some uh, folks coming on. Hi, Chow. I don't think we met each other yet, but I think we might be having a call here soon. But looking forward to meeting you. Again, if you guys like this content, join our community, get the free, check out my free book, simplepassacastle.com slash book. And if you guys have been sitting on the sidelines and him and hawing, you don't know what to invest in, don't know who the bad characters are out there, you need some help, you need a peer group to source the best practices for tax, legal. How much do I put in my infinite banking? And it, you know, that's what we do in the first year when people are in the family office of Hana Mastermind. Uh, learn more at simplepassivecastle.com slash journey. Uh, that's how we trick you in. We give you that all that good stuff. But what really makes people stay is the relationships with the other investors in that group. A lot of that is just really intangible. I was talking to some folks in the group recently, and I think that it's pretty much consensus in there that they keep, it's that social capital that really pays dividends in the future, not only in finding good deals and investment terms and saving on taxes. That's the obvious stuff, but it's a lot of the intangibles about the relationships with the people and that your network is your net worth at the end of the day. We will transition here into my personal report that's been going on. If you guys are on the email list, you guys have gotten an announcement from my desk saying that, yeah, we are growing up here a little bit at Simple Passive Cashflow. I am hiring more higher level executive staff to add to the, the, the current full-time staff. One of the, the biggest things for me is growth is giving up control. I'm realizing that I'm just not able to work for 12 hours plus every single day without a weekend. And I need to rely on people who do this stuff better than I am. I mean, like a lot of on the operations side, I was not a property manager who spent five to 10 years sitting at a desk and worked my way through the ranks of being a property manager. Yes, we hire those types of people, but what we're looking for on that side are people who have been in that desk took taken over a property management company on their own, gone to that director level, but then stepping up to that COO level. Um, that is the caliber of people that I'm looking to hire. If you guys want are interested, go to simplepassacashflow.com slash joint team. But another thing I'm looking for is you know, contribution. This is what I do, guys. This is my life. I realize that there are a lot of hardworking Americans out there that went to school for a really long time and got sold this lie of investing in this 401k, buying a house to live in. And I just found that there is a different way. But you have to take the red pill as cited in the new Matrix. I think this is their fourth movie that's coming out in December. But if you guys saw the movie, you know, the Morpheus gave him the red pill, which kind of unlocked everything. And for me, when I started to invest in real estate, I realized that I was making money four ways, tax benefits, mortgage pay down, appreciation, and the cash flow that came in every single month. And when I did the math, I was making like 20, 30% plus on my money. If you don't believe me, go to look at my uh, whiteboard exercise. I go through all the numbers at 
simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns. Check my math there. But this is where very a decade ago, I realized like, what the heck? Why would I want to put my money in this 401k nonsense with all these hidden fees where I'm only getting like 7 to 9% a year? Just didn't make any sense to me. And then I just kept on following that path and buying more and more rentals. And then I realized becoming more of an accredited investor, the game kind of changes to more of the tax strategy. Uh, investing in good deals, of course, who doesn't like that? But the more bang for your buck, especially for credit investors, all this tax best practices and infinite banking. And that's kind of what separates the wealthy. And now I'm trying to look at the next set, the next level of other groups to join. One of them I'm looking at is Tiger 21. A lot of these groups, what I've realized is, and some of the stuff I've learned already up to this point is a lot of this stuff is very simple. It's nothing that the average guy can't do. It's just like my parents weren't accredited investors. I don't have people that are like five, ten, twenty million dollars net worth. I do now, but for the average guy, you don't have access to those types of people. Moving on. So significance. How do I get a little significance in my life? I've been really jazzed. I'm getting a new car. I got I had a lot of fun negotiating my car loan. I basically told them that I'm going to go and shop it to my credit union that gave me other car loans. They dropped my rate for 4.1 to 3.4%. And it's crazy about car loans is they'll give you, I got 95% loan to value on this thing. And then I also negotiated the car warranty because that thing is always a scam. And there's always room, room to get on that one. But I felt pretty cool about myself. And in terms of other significant, we closed another 45-unit deal, Fiesta Sun in Phoenix, Arizona. I think last week, Thursday, I think. So another more value add, less cash flow type of property, but adding that one to the portfolio to go along with the rest. Some uncertainty in my life. I really want to get rid of these stupid single family homes that I have owned for quite a while. Here's some rehab pictures. The saga just keeps going on and on. Don't get me wrong. Great way to get your network off the ground, at least to maybe a quarter million, half a million. But Single family homes just are not scalable. But look, if you want something that gives you an ego boost at the end of the day, because you took a lot of cool pictures, by all means. But look, I'd rather be wealthy and do things smart and invest in things that actually make tax sense, where it makes sense to do a big cost segregation. Here's some more pictures of not the little single family home piece of junk here, but this is our 230 unit that we're building in. Huntsville, Alabama. We had we had a little fire recently. Insurance pays that, and now we're continuing to you know move. Some of these units are getting pretty filled out. You're seeing the tubs go in. You're seeing that the the island kitchen island going in. It's coming together. Maybe we can have some people move in start of next year. Is the game plan and the last human need per Tony Robbins is the love and connection part. I digged up some pictures of some things we did back in 2000. I think this is 2020, right before, a couple of weeks before the pandemic. We had the mastermind here in Hawaii. We paid a little. We did, that was the, that was a big highlight of 2020 for me. Granted, I only had one month of being able to do anything, but th we did a little escape room. This was in Maui. Um, but life's been a little quiet for me with the little one at home. I know we've been doing some meetups in Texas, Bay Area. And maybe in Hawaii we'll do a, what I'm trying to plan is maybe do a little virtual pop-up open house. We try and do, we try and open up the community to outsiders 
once a year so you can see what it's all about, meet some people. And it gives our family office people a chance to interact with people not in the family office group a little bit too. So we try and do that. And I'm always big on spending my money in fun ways, value ways. But I found this, so my daughter, who's three months year old, she has this like sleep stack. If you new parents haven't seen these sleep stack, it's basically a snuggy, but you have like their arms and their legs can move around. So they, it, it makes them feel really secure, yet they can spread out. So I got this, I, I started to look around because I was like, man, she looks super comfortable in this thing. And it's almost, this thing is like that weighted blanket effect. So I found one for adults and I bought it. It's a bit expensive, it's like 80 bucks. But I don't know, if you guys are looking for something fun to buy, give it a try. And I guess if anybody's got any questions, type it in now. Somebody asked, to build financial wealth, sounds like besides cash flow, one needs to understand how to reduce taxes right? Yeah, it depends on where you're at, right? If you make more than $200,000 to $400,000 a year, it's going to behoove you to more to focus on taxes, right? If you're able to take a classic example, like a doctor making $600,000, if he goes into deals that do cost segregations, needless to get a lot of suspended passive losses, unless he's implementing real estate professional status, he can't use those passive losses to lower his income. And therefore, he's going to pay a boatload on $600,000 adjusted gross income. With Biden's thing, where they're coming out and headhunting these $400,000 rich people, supposedly, it's going to get even worse. But the smart people, what they do is they take that $600,000 AGI and they find ways to lower that just gross income. Perhaps they're doing real estate professional status. There's a whole optics on how to get that to work. And there's some hoops that jump through, which you know it comes in the strategy. How do you get this to work? How do you work hand in hand with your CPA to have them sign off on what you're doing? Because this stuff is aggressive and most CPAs will run away and they say it's illegal. You can't do that. Um, again, the golden rule is you never take financial advice from people who are not financially free. A lot of CPAs are just still working the day job. They may know how to do taxes, but they not, may not know how to do strategy. But in that situation, if you're able to just merely um, use $200,000 of passive activity losses or pay, maybe perhaps do land conservation easements and lower your AGI from $600,000 to $400,000, so I think you could probably do better. You just save 50% on every $200,000. So you save $100,000, right? Shoot, that's a lot of stupid turnkey rentals. That's a lot of syndications money that you just save in taxes. A dollar saved is just as much as a dollar earned. In fact, for some people, for most people, it's like a dollar twenty-five. For me, I don't pay too much in taxes. I'm really optimistic of what my taxes are going to be. I think next week they're due. So I should be getting that. But last year, I drove my AGI down to $25,000, effectively paying no taxes. I invested a lot and I helped out the economy that way. That's how the wealthy do things. It's not really about investing after wealth, right? I think that's where people on the lower run, because they're flipping houses, they're doing all this burst stuff. Sure, that's how you get your net worth to a quarter million, half a million. But especially for the higher income earners, once you get your net worth up there, you the biggest bang for your buck is going to be the tax. And then once you knock that down, you've learned the strategies for that and the infinite banking. And then you pull this trifecta together, investing in good deals, where you're investing for longevity, hard assets at cash flow, tax advantage investing, and then infinite banking. That's the trade back. That's how I see it. And I'm sure there's some few other tricks and tips that are out beyond the 10 
30, $50 million net worth horizon that I'm not seeing yet. I'm trying to head into that direction, which is one of the reasons why I'm hiring people to get myself out of the day-to-day so I can play more of this business development, join different groups to learn more of these strategies from the higher $100 million families and above. Because that's what I enjoy to do. And that's why I intend to bring those strategies back to you guys. That'll be the monthly report for now. Thank you all for joining. And we will see you guys next time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.